This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Brian Lager talks about discipleship as daily spiritual warfare. How does discipleship and spiritual warfare fit together? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What questions should we ask ourselves to ensure we are following Jesus? Well, let's find out. Father Brian is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. And Father Brian Lager, we are here talking today, discipleship as a daily spiritual warfare. So let's talk about that. First off, we hear the term discipleship, Father. Let's talk about what is discipleship. Absolutely. It's uh Discipleship is a term that's been um, thrown around a lot in our day and age, Uh, more recently especially, talking about missionary disciples and what that looks like in a parish, what that looks like uh, in our daily lives, and what that looks like, you know, being on a college campus. We uh, talk about that a lot, and since we have focus at the campus center, uh, we talk about it a ton, actually. And and so what is discipleship? Well, uh, easily defined as imitation and... uh, the thing about imitation is that uh, as humans, we are imitators. And from our very beginning, from our creation, uh, we are created in the image and likeness of God. And thus, we, we're, we begin as imitators. But we're imitators, hopefully, of, of God himself. That's, that's who we want to be imitators of. Uh, we find ourselves throughout our lives being imitators of uh, of people that uh, maybe we shouldn't be imitating. And we find ourselves following people that maybe we shouldn't be following. But that imitation, first and foremost, that we are called to in discipleship is the imitation of Jesus Christ. And so when a, when a disciple followed a rabbi in, in the first century, the goal wasn't merely to follow the master rabbi's teachings, but to imitate the way that he lived and how he prayed, how he studied, how he taught, how he served the poor, and how he lived out his relationship with God uh, every single day. And so... Jesus himself said that when a disciple is fully trained, he becomes like his teacher. So like in Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 40, uh, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And he exhorts uh, others to lead in the same way. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2, easily uh, remembered as teach teachers to teach. And, uh, but remember, we have to remember that that imitation, that teaching that we are, that we are doing is an imitation, not just, not just head knowledge. It's, it's not just that, but it's, uh, it's learning how to live the life. In a sense, the art of living is, is kind of the goal. The word disciple itself, mathetes, uh, uh, which is from the Greek, actually means learner. Biblical discipleship was very different from modern, uh, the way that we do classroom learning today. Uh, on, a, on a college campus, professors give lectures uh, in large lecture halls oftentimes. Students take notes, and then they're tested on the material later. Uh, but there's no real ongoing personal relationship, and there's no real sharing of life between the professor and the student in a normal university setting today, especially uh, not during COVID. <laughs> they're not even, in, <laughs> not, even, not even in a lecture hall, a lot of them. But uh, in Jesus' time, however... Following a rabbi meant living with the rabbi, sharing meals with him, praying with him, studying with him, taking part in the rabbi's daily life. And so the rabbi's life was meant to be a living example of someone that was shaped by the word of God. And so disciples, therefore, studied not just the text of scripture, 
but also the text of the rabbi's life. And I think that's the key point in discipleship is that if, if we study the word of God, if we study the teachings of the church and they have no effect on our daily life, then, then what's the point? Uh, what, is, uh, what are we doing it for? So Jesus didn't simply ask his disciples to listen to his preaching in the synagogues. He said, come follow me. And when he said, come follow me, you know, part of that is he also said, take up your cross and follow me. And so then when he said, come follow me, he basically went on a three-year camping trip, as, as some people say. And they journeyed throughout Galilee during his in itinerant ministry. So can you, I mean, that's kind of a cool thing to think about, Ken, is, uh, could you imagine living with Jesus? Yeah, for yeah, every single day. A three-year camp, a uh, three-year camping trip. I don't know that, I don't know that I could go on a three-year camping trip, <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't well, know if I could do on a three-day camping trip anymore. <laughs> well, you know, and I think about I think about the disciples, and and you know, Christ chose these disciples. And there's a quote I love from Saint Thomas Aquinas, and he said, "God chose men from the simplest form of life, fishermen, right. so that what was done through them would not be attributed to human wisdom." Absolutely. And that I, I think about every time I talk about evangelization or just being true disciples, is the fact that. You know, we sometimes I think uh, over overthink things, maybe, or just we just evangelization and sharing our faith with others is is just a conversation. Right. And I think so many times people think that we have to know everything. It's like I don't know the catechism well, so I'm not right. gonna, you know. So uh, I love that quote, and I, I I think about that a lot because um, you know you think about the journey that they were on together, right? Uh, and uh, it's a pretty amazing journey. The thing I see about uh, discipleship, you know, coming from a farm. I was thinking about this this morning. You can't pick up farming from a classroom. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. And everybody that I know that's a farmer usually was raised on a farm. And, and they, you have to learn the type of soil that, that you're using. You have to learn the type of nutrients your soil needs. And so you're constantly doing uh, tests on the soil to, to see what kind of nutrients you need to put into it. You have to know uh, what kind of seed will actually work in that, in that soil. You can't just go out there and just, I can't plant. You know, I can't plant like pineapples or whatever in Western Kansas. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, that. right? It sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but but you have to you have to know your climate. You have to know the, the how much moisture you're going to get, and so you have to have that daily living with the soil and that daily constant contact with that with that which you are doing, in order in order to be able to become good at it. And and discipleship is the same thing. You can't be a good disciple if you don't have daily constant contact with the one that you are following. Mm. You can't, you can't follow Jesus Christ without that constant interaction with him. And so sometimes I think with, with that learning and stuff, sometimes we think that our faith is purely about doctrines or it's just about um, just this constant, okay, I go to Mass and that's enough. Uh, or, or, you know, if I believe all these things, then, then that's enough. But, but we have to remember that Jesus doesn't just say, well, if you line up with all these doctrines, you're fine. You know, he doesn't call it. He doesn't say that. He, he's very explicit. You know, his last command in the Gospels is to go, therefore, and, and, and do what I've done. Uh, go, therefore, and preach to all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we're not called to sit on, sit on our butts. We're not called to just um, have our nose in a book all the time. We're actually called to go out and to do more. And so it, it is necessary for us to follow the doctrines and practices of the faith but we have to actually do something deeper, and we have to know what's going on interiorly. And so we always ask the question, are we moving closer to Christ, encountering him new each day? Do we notice his ongoing call to conversion, his prompting 
his prompting in us to give more, to love more, and to surrender more. And so a disciple is aware that Jesus is constantly inviting us to live more like him in all the areas of our life. St. John Paul II said, we're called to think like him, to judge like him, to act in conformity with his commandments, and to hope as he invites us to. And so being a disciple, therefore, entails a lot more than simply saying and believing the right things. It's, it's a way of life. It's the way that we go about our day-to-day life. And, and that day-to-day life is the way that he transforms us. So, Ken, when you walked in this morning, if I were to just start laying into you about the way that you parked out there or something like that, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's really not a daily living, <laughs> living of discipleship. If I'm, if I'm not living out those very things that, uh, that Jesus is calling me to, if I, you know, adhere to all the doctrines and I, and I uh, you know, intellectually assent to all the doctrines of the church, but I'm not changing my life every single day to live like Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's pointless. It's not that it's pointless. It's that it's not being a witness to, sure. to the very things that I say that I assent to. And so that's, that's not what being a Christian is. It's not what being a Catholic is. Mm. So this kind of discipleship reminds us how being Catholic is not a stagnant reality. I identify in all, on this survey as Catholic, or I attend Mass on Sundays, I believe all the Church's teachings. All that is necessary for us to be a practicing Catholic, but living as a disciple involves more. It's, discipleship is personal, it's uh, intensely personal, it's dynamic, it entails movement and transformation. It doesn't mean that we're just, we're just sitting still. A true disciple is never stagnant. They're never just going through the motions. They don't settle for mediocrity. We're always striving for virtue, always striving for holiness, always striving for sainthood. It's not a check-the-box approach to the faith, but a true disciple is striving for greatness, always on the lookout for the next step of faith to which God calls us. You use the term stagnant there. Yeah. And I think about just a stagnant body of water. Right. You know. And all the gunk that kind of builds up on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That kind of comes to mind when you did, say that. Did you grow up with any uh, farm tanks growing up, Kenny? You know what happens to Yeah, I, d- I do. I mean, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I know I do <laughs> yeah. remember, yeah. They get gross yeah, really quickly. Fact, you got to yeah. keep that water moving or else it gets really it, nasty. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and I, I definitely have seen that, witnessed that with friends who were on the farm. Now, one of the things, Father, is there a model of discipleship that we follow? I know you maybe touched on a little of that. Absolutely. But, but there's, yeah, I mean, Jesus is the ultimate model, you know, and, uh, and so that's, that's, that's our goal. And there's, we can think of uh, saints throughout the, uh, throughout the centuries who modeled this discipleship. Uh, we can think about um, uh, people from, from the modern times that, uh, that have modeled this. Um, but there's one in particular uh, that I want to touch on today. And his name is Jan Tiernowski. You know who I'm talking mm-hmm. about? I, yeah, I think he's servant of God now, actually. Maybe blessed. I can't remember which. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jan Tiernowski, uh, in, the, in the early 40s, when the Nazis dominated uh, central, a lot of Central Europe, uh, you know, we know they weren't neutral to religion, uh, didn't really like Catholics, especially didn't like priests, didn't like, uh, uh, didn't like the things that they do. Uh, they send, sent thousands of priests and religious to concentration camps. We're very well aware of that. But the goal was to prevent the faith from being passed on to the younger generation and to indoctrinate young people in the Nazi ideology of school, in the media and in the government-sponsored activities. And so uh, with the priests and the religious being sent off to concentration camps, uh, they didn't have opportunities uh, that we have in the freedoms of our country today. And so lay people had to step up heroically even, to lead underground groups and pass on the faith uh, to the youth. 
And so one of these was Jan Tiernowski. He led one of the most successful of these clandestine ministries with college-aged men, and he called them living rosary groups. Now, this is in Poland. Uh, so he was a tailor in, uh, in Poland, not a priest. He didn't have any formal training in theology. And uh, when, when they actually talk about him, he actually was not really anything special. Uh, he didn't have a... Sp- you know, he didn't have a particular outgoing personality. He didn't, uh, he wasn't, you know, extremely charismatic. He was just a faithful Catholic that knew that the faith needed to be passed on. And so at the risk of his own life, he opened, he would open his apartment to several young men to instruct them in the spiritual life and to train them to form these living rosary groups of their own. Now, they weren't just praying the rosary during this. He, he became very intentional in his ministry. He reinforced the basics of the faith. They, you know, they weren't allowed to publicly teach the faith, and so he was doing this very privately in his home. And he, he would help these men, uh, these young men, take the next steps in their relationship with Christ. One of the, one of the steps in, um, in, in, in intentional discipleship is to intentionally root out sins and weaknesses, uh, to grow in virtue and, and to deepen uh, friendship with Christ. That's, you know, that's what a true disciple is all about. So the, and so the two fundamental truths in discipleship that, that we talk about and that Jan Ternowski was working on was the truth about themselves, who they were as, as a people of God, who they were as individuals, with the Nazis really trying to ruin uh, their dignity and really trying to tear them down and tell them who they ought to be. Uh, they really had to build themselves up and learn who God was calling them to be. And, and that was the second part of the fundamental truth, the truth about what they're made for. And so the truth about themselves and the truth about what they're made for. And so the the true disciple knows what he's made for. Uh, He has this transformation in Christ, but he also knows the many ways that he falls short. So discipleship is moving about from A to B, moving from the truth about ourselves and then the truth to what we are made for. And this is what Jan was introducing into these young men's lives. And he became so successful at it that 10 of the men that he discipled in this group eventually became priests. And, uh, and as these became priests, uh, one of these priests was someone that we all actually know very well. His mm-hmm. name was Carol Wojtyla. Mm-hmm. And the man eventually became uh, bishop, an archbishop in Poland, and eventually became Pope St. John Paul II, who is eventually St. John Paul II. And so the pope ha- had such a tremendous influence on the church in the entire world. But it started with Jan Tiernowski, this man who was really kind of a nobody. Um, just a tailor that was a faithful man that, that saw how the faith was being destroyed by, by the culture, being, being destroyed by uh, the, ruling, uh, the, the ruling Nazis, and, uh, and so began to form these small groups. And so I think the th- key thing about discipleship is that we don't have to be necessarily trained to mm-hmm. do it. If we're steeped in prayer, if we are steeped in, uh, in the practices of, of reading scripture, then we can do the very thing that Jan Ternowski does. And, and my notes here actually say that he's venerable, so his cause has been opened yeah. for canonization. Uh, and you think about that because when you said the name right away, I thought, no, Jan Ternowski, you know, who knows? There may not have been a, a John Paul II. You're absolutely right. And uh, yeah. it's amazing the work that he did, and, and uh, it's an amazing story. Let's talk a little more how we uh, as Catholics live as disciples. <clears throat> And I shouldn't say just Catholics because we have many non-Catholics lis- listening as well. Yeah, so we're all, well how we as a, you I mean, know. If we're living according to the gospel, 
There you we're go. all called to live as disciples, and we're all called not just to keep the faith to ourselves, but we're, we're called to share it. That's, uh, that's, I think that's the thing that we forget about the gospel, is that it's never meant to be kept to ourselves. It's always meant to be shared, and, uh, and that's, that's key. I, I think in my own life, I think of how uh, I was discipled in my own life. Uh, you know, I, I was raised Catholic. And I was baptized uh, six weeks after I was born. And I think of, you know, my, my mom and dad uh, didn't have any formal training in the faith, but, but my mom was a, a religious ed teacher for many years. She became the director of uh, religious education in my parish. And my dad... Uh, uh, you know, it was the, the faith was the most important thing for us. Uh, things at the church, uh, our faith was number one in our lives, and uh, and everything result, revolved around what what we what was going on at the church. And so, if there was something going on at the church, we would work our tails off to to make sure that we were there. And uh, growing up on a dairy, we always had to milk the cows, and uh, and so those were always they seemed to be at conflict. They were not, <laughs> but sometimes we wondered if the church came first or the cows came. First, but, but church always came first. Um, and but so, you, did you use that as an excuse sometimes? Or, was that the cows? the cows? It was never an excuse. It no. was they never allow, allowed it. To I be was going to say, I figured no. you're going to milk it for all it's worth. I didn't know for sure. So. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, we uh, and so we had. When I was a kid, mass was at 10 a.m. on Sundays, and uh, and then it changed to 8 a.m. And Dad would get up, you know, 4:30 in the morning and start milking in order for us to be done milking by the time that. Uh, but so we get to so that we could get to mass on time, and uh, and that was for the majority of my life that that we started. I mean that we probably had eight o'clock mass from the time that I was in probably fourth or fifth grade all the way through uh, when I graduated. So dad would get up at four thirty, we'd be out to the barn by by uh, six six thirty, and then we'd help and we'd finish up seven seven thirty. We'd go get ready, go to mass, but that that was central to us. And and Fridays during Lent we always had stations, and so we we'd milk early so we could get to stations or. Um, um, actually, what, what my parents credit for the vocations that came from my home parish was um, First Friday devotions. Every First Friday, my parents would drop everything and at noon go to the church and, and they'd pray their First Friday devotions, the Litany to the Sacred Heart and the, the Rosary and, and uh, 15, 20 minutes of, of just silent uh, meditation. And, um, and then they would fast. They wouldn't eat that. They wouldn't eat noon meal or that, that was the goal. I think we ate any, usually anyway. But... Uh, um, just because working on the farm, you just need the energy a lot of times. But uh, for us, that w- that was key for us. And and uh, the other thing for us was uh, we had we always shared meals together. We ate every meal in the evenings together. When my sister, when my sisters and my older brother went off to high school and they had practice, you know, we didn't eat supper until they got home. And, uh, and so that was around 6, 6.30, and then we would go out and do chores. And uh, when I was, like, in seventh grade, uh, that changed a little bit because we, we added on to our dairy herd, and we got a little bit bigger, and it just t- it took more time. And so we started eating on our own. But Sundays, um, a noon meal, uh, and, or our noon meals uh, during the week, when, during the summer, we always ate together. We, we, never, we never ate separately. Um, we all, we were always together, and even even when we were out harvesting, uh, when food would be brought out to to the field, we always ate together. That's that's what it was, and so so I, I think uh, living as a disciple, I think there's there's four practices um, that that we can pick up on, um, and they come from Acts two forty two. Uh, Acts two forty two says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. 
So living, living as a disciple, there, there is a, the, an old Jewish saying uh, in the first century that says, if, if you encounter a rabbi, you should cover yourself in the dust of his feet and drink in his words thirstily. The expression draws on a, a well-known insight from the ancient Jews. Disciples were well-known for walking behind their rabbi, following them so closely that they would become covered with their dust that they kicked up from their sandals. And so the, it was a powerful image of, of how, a, how a disciple lived. You know, we talked about uh, ancient Jewish discipleship of a rabbi was living with them, know, learning everything from, from the rabbi. And so they literally would follow so close when they were walking between towns that, uh, that they would literally be covered uh, in their dust. And so it was a powerful image for what happens in a disciple's life spiritually. Uh, they were expected to follow the master's way of thinking, living and acting so closely that it was as if they would be covered by his influence and his example. And so I think uh, if, we were to, if we were to apply that to our lives and think about that, the, the rabbis, their disciples would start to look like them in, in the way that they dressed, in the way that they acted, in the way that they prayed, and, and, and all of that. And so that was the imitation that was necessary in, in order to become a disciple of a rabbi. And so thousands of years later, we're, we're called to do the same. Though we walk on paved roads and not dusty ones, we're still called to be disciples, to follow Jesus, our rabbi, uh, our teacher, so, so, so closely that we are covered in his dust, uh, and we are changed and made new. And so this, these are the kinds of disciples that Jesus is looking for. We're called, he calls us to imitate him. So those four practices, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And so these four key practices of a disciple are the places where we encounter Jesus' guidance and power today, just like in the early church. And so I can think of how these played, played a role in my own life. Uh, the apostles' teaching, you know, uh, Wednesday night religion was key for us. But, but not, only was that key, not only was that key for us, but, you know, at our meals, on, especially on Sundays, was the day that we sat down together as a family. And if we were learning prayers in CCD, we'd go around the table. And all of us kids, we had to recite the prayer that we were learning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, that's how my dad and my mom taught the faith to us. And so usually it was at Sunday, uh, Sunday, what we, what we called dinner, our noon meal. And, uh, and that's, that's when it was passed on. Sundays also were a time for us to do our religion homework. You know, if we had school homework, fine. But, but it was the day that if we had religion homework, that was the day that we did it. Because that was when mom and dad said, let's sit around the table. And a lot of times, when, especially when we were little, uh, mom and dad would, mom would be preparing her lesson for Wednesday. Uh, dad would just kind of be there with us. And the and us little kids would sit around the table and, and we'd be there. And, uh, and, and we'd do our religion homework. And so that, that was the apostles' teaching, but that was also fellowship. So having those meals together, that was huge. Sharing that time together, allowing us to sit down at the table so mom and dad could look us in the eye and see what was going on in our life, um, and, and just our, our family fellowship. That, that played out in my life later when I, when I went to college. I went to Benedictine College, and the friends that I formed were friends that uh, would build me up in, in virtue, and we'd spend time together talking about the things of the faith. And so... Uh, and so we, we fulfilled the apostles' teaching through the classes that I was taking at school, but also through the Bible studies that, that I was in. Uh, the fellowship was just the people that, that I surrounded myself with, that, um, that we were able to build one another up in virtue. That's, that's so key to growing in the life of Christ, is, is that, that virtue that we are growing in, putting out the life of sin and putting on the life of Christ. The breaking of the bread, mass was essential to our family. Uh, we never missed. I can remember... 
missing one or two times, um, and that was because I was sick. And um, and even when they came home from church, my mom and dad inspected me to make sure I, <laughs> make sure I was actually sick. <laughs> they, didn't, they wanted to make they wanted to make sure I wasn't lying. <laughs> so. Uh, so it was. Uh, I, I literally, I, I literally only remember missing one time. I remember leaving church early because I was throwing up. Um, but that's that's literally the only time I ever missed. And that's pretty hard to fake, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't you can't fake that. I remember. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to talk about that on radio. It's a bad image. But uh, but but the breaking of the bread is is of course the uh, the mass. But it's also all of the sacraments that that we are given. You know, regular confession. Uh, when I was in high school, we had mass on Thursday mornings in, in our parish, and my brother and I would, would sometimes, on our own choosing, mom never forced us to go, dad never forced us to go, but every once in a while, we would make our way to, to mass before before school. Uh, we had it at 7.30, and, and we could get to school uh, by about 8, 8.20, 8.30. Usually, the first bell would ring, and we'd be walking in, but because we live in a, a, in a fairly Catholic town, nobody asked any questions, and we just went to a class, and no big deal. Um, that we were kind of blessed that way, yeah. uh, and uh, and so just that regular reception of the sacraments, regular reception of confession. Uh, there's always confession before that Thursday morning mass, and so every once in a while, you know, we'd hit up confession, and it became a huge, huge part of my life in college. Still a huge part of my life today. I go as often as as I can, you know, once a month or or more if I need to. Or, um, so just uh, especially during COVID, <laughs> I think I've gone more to confession more than I had before. <laughs> just the frustration of, uh, of mm-hmm. things that happen, and and so just just realizing, and also you know being being more alone uh, during during COVID time, you're just kind of alone with your thoughts and alone with, uh, and you're just like, oh my goodness, I'm still very much lacking over there, and so you find confession again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then, and it, then it says the prayers. How how we pray together? How do we how are we praying for each other? How are we deepening our our intimacy with with Christ? How are we uh, getting to know Him more? How are we speaking with Him uh, all the time? In that prayer, uh, God calls us to change. Uh, he calls us from that into that transformation, from our life of sin into the, into the life of grace. And so, so we give ourselves uh, over to him. And so those prayers are our family. One of the things we did, being, being Advent, one of the things our family did is we would at, light our Advent wreath and we, we prayed the Angelus every day uh, throughout, throughout the season of Advent. That was one thing that our family did that was, uh, that was very explicit to the season that, uh, that helped us to grow. And so I've always had the Angelus memorized because of that. Um, and so it's just one of those things that's just a beautiful thing and, and maybe we did it because my home parish is angelus and no, i was just gonna say you <laughs> so, had a reason to right do it, right <laughs> right so we had uh, so so that became something very natural to us and so just just those practices of faith and encouraging uh, i encourage parents just to do those things because your kids you, it may not look like it's working uh, but they're listening and they're watching and uh and and they're there you know and and so a home is a place where these four practices come into play the most and and that's mm. that formation that happens in that time is is huge for for um growing in faith later and i know a lot of a lot of uh a lot of people in my parish talk about the frustration that their kids don't come to mass anymore. They're not Catholic anymore, and and it's not because their parents necessarily did anything wrong. They have a free will, <laughs> and they choose to they choose to fall away, unfortunately. And so and so the prayer becomes huge. 
the, the fasting and the prayer that we offer for them now is, is a great act of discipleship even now, uh, uniting ourselves to Christ even more and, and, uh, and, and putting out sin so that when we have those conversations or when those kids come home, then, uh, then we can actually be like Christ to them. And, and even if they're you know, living contrary to the faith, how can we still be Christ mm-hmm. to them in those moments? So, yeah. I think it's so important for parents to remember you know, the biggest thing that they can do is prayer. I mean, prayer is so important. Right. Um, sometimes it just feels like a lost cause, and the reality is, is prayer does some amazing things. And the other thing that you mentioned I think so important, and, and it was an example to me, is, I mean, my parents were great examples. Even though, you know, for I was, I'm a revert to the faith. I left the faith for a while. I would, just wasn't practicing my yeah. faith for a while. So, um, you know, but I rem- what, what part of what brought me back was remembering my mom on her knees praying a rosary, mm-hmm. praying her prayers, and every morning and every night, it was just, that yeah. was one thing that really stuck with me. So I think those examples, I think, are great, um, you know, if, if you're doing those things, too, and maybe the, maybe the kids aren't where you want them to be. You know, that's, they're still seeing those wonderful right. examples. So. Right. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about Discipleship as Daily Spiritual Warfare with Father Brian Logger. on Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Discipleship as Daily Spiritual Warfare with Father Brian Logger. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Uh, Spiritual warfare, you know, a lot of times, too, the, the crazy thing today, it seems, is a lot of people say, I'm not sure the devil even exists. Yeah. And I know Satan's got to be saying, yes, you know, right. thinking, well, they don't even think I exist. So that's one less, you know, person to worry about. Isn't there, uh, there's a quote about that <coughs> from somebody, C.S. Lewis, maybe. The, the, the devil's job is not to, uh, he, he just, he, he, basically the devil likes to just be unknown. Yeah. And uh, I forget the quote. But <laughs> yeah, was that from Screw Tape Letters, maybe? Possibly. Yeah. 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 I don't yeah. remember. But. Well, I, in, you know, I think about that, too, because I, I, we're talking here. You know, one of the things you talked about is the meals and everything you did together. And I just, I just thought, what a cool thing. Now, when you're a kid, maybe you're not saying this is the coolest thing right. in the world. No, not but, at all. But when you look back on it and you go, Look at all these wonderful things my parents did, the great right. examples they were for us. And, you know, I think about when you were talking about you'd sit together at family meals, and now today you walk into a restaurant and you see a family of four sitting in a booth and they're all on their iPhones or right. whatever, not even conversing. Right. And it's just so amazing how our culture has changed so Absolutely. much. And we see it, the effects of that, you know, yeah. beyond we see it so much, and it's a sad thing. So talking about uh, discipleship as a daily spiritual warfare, so how is living as a disciple spiritual, war- spiritual warfare? What to come, Talk a little on that, if you would. So I'm sure that uh, spiritual warfare has been defined already. But So I, I kind of want to talk about the definition a little bit, but, uh, but also how we do it as disciples, as you said. Um, there's we, we think of warfare that goes on in the world. We think of the physical and uh, warfare that goes on in our world, you know, guns and, and drones and stuff now. But, but there's, there's an even more important war. You know, I'm not saying that uh, battling against war is, is, uh, is not important, but 
there's there's the daily battle for our soul, and that's that's the greatest war that that we fight, and that's what spiritual warfare is. Spirit being you know the the unseen of our world, and that warfare meaning that uh, that there's there's demons and angels at war for our soul, and so the, this the spiritual warfare is generally unseen by human eyes. And as Ephesians chapter 6 says, it's not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. This, this is the warfare uh, that, is, that is happening. And so the spiritual war against the devil and his minions uh, has crucial consequences in our daily life with an outcome that, uh, that determines our eternal destiny. The devil does all in his power to destroy the work of God in us. So we do not have to look far to see this hostility in contemporary society toward truths of the gospel, such as those about sin, heaven, and hell, like you said, uh, many people not even believing that hell exists mm-hmm. or that, that the devil exists, about, and about the need for repentance. And so this timeless struggle is evident even within the church herself when some repudiate uh, the teaching of Christ. And so, you know, when, when we talk about being a disciple, we talked about uh, the, the fact that it is going... Uh, the, the two things, recognizing the fru- two fundamental truths of a disciple of Jesus, the truth about themselves and the truth about what they are made for. In, in our world today, we, we understand that we are made for freedom. There's a, an understanding of freedom that is actually wrongfully understood. We have this idea of freedom, and we see this actually in the students on campus. There's this f- idea of freedom that I can do whatever I want. And if I can do whatever I want, that means anything that you are introducing into my life is coming against that freedom. And when it comes against that freedom, then, then I'm not going to do it. And, and because I know that because I, I see that it's difficult. And so that, that daily spiritual warfare is, is striving in virtue, recognizing that, you know, I've got a problem with gossip, or I've got a problem with lust, or I've got a problem, uh, I've got a problem with, uh, with, with pride, or I've got a problem with money is the only thing that, that I seek. And, uh, and this freedom that I'm using is not freedom to, to seek Christ. It's a freedom to only fulfill, fulfill my, own, my own pleasures. And, um, and so we aren't, and so oftentimes we don't see what we are called for, and we don't see who we are. And so we find ourselves kind of, um, it's probably why there's tons of depression. It's, it's part of the reason that there's tons of uh, need for psychological help, uh, emotional help anymore, because we don't know who we are. And the reason we don't know who we are is because we don't turn to Christ. We don't turn to that discipleship that we are called to. Um, and, then, uh, and then we don't realize that we're made for something greater than this world. When we focus on this world and we're only constantly seeking the things of this world, that means that the devil has us in his grasp. He, he's, taken, he's able to take our focus off of that which matters the most, that we are made for eternal life. And we are made for the one true God. We are not made for, for anything else. And that everything in this life pales in comparison to what God, what, to what God wants to offer us. And so, uh, so it's constantly the spiritual warfare that we are doing every single day is every minute, every moment, how am I, how am I serving Christ? How am I bringing Christ into the world? And, and if my life is not lining up with what Christ wants for me in this moment, then, then how do I change that? And how do I get better? How do I grow in virtue so that, so that I can actually uh, give witness to Christ in the world? And so that's, that's a daily, daily battle, mm-hmm. as, as you know. Mm, absolutely. We are talking with Father Brian Lager, and, and we have a few minutes left here this morning to uh, 
talk a little bit about the discipleship, discipleship and obviously the spiritual warfare. It is a daily battle, as you talked about. Right. And those are things that I think, you know, again, uh, uh, Satan is a great deceiver, and uh, we can get caught up in just all of the deception. Right. He's very good at uh, deceiving us in so many ways, and so we can get caught up in that and really lose focus on what's truly important. I think there's there's four questions, kind of the, the close here. There's four questions that, that we should ask ourselves that relate us back to the four practices of the disciple. And I think those questions are, what do your relationships look like? What does your relationship with Jesus look like? What does your intu- intellectual life look like? And what does your sacramental life look like? And one more time, what do your relationships look like? What does your relationship with Jesus look like? What does your intellectual life look like? And what does your sacramental life look like? So what do your relationships look like? When, when, you're, when you're spending time with your friends, uh, are you sitting around drinking beer? Are you sitting around talking about the weather? Are you sitting around talking about the football game? None of those are bad things, unless we're drinking beer in excess, of course. But, uh, <laughs> um, but if, but if our, our relationships are only focused on things of the world, then, uh, then are they helping us get to eternal life? Um, and if, and we're, are we afraid in those relationships to actually bring up, to bring up Jesus? Um, are, we, are we too afraid to have those conversations with other people? A disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, when we fall in love with someone, it's who we talk about all the time. Think about when you fall in love with your wife. Deacon. People have probably got tired of you talking about her all the time. And so, and so <laughs> if we fall in love with Jesus, he's going to be the first thing on our lips all the time. And, uh, and, and if, we're, if we're having that divine intimacy with Jesus, if we're, if we're steeped in prayers, we are called to be, then that's the number one thing that's most important in our life. And so our relationships ought to reflect that which is most important in our life. If, if all we're doing is, is uh, watching football or drinking beer or, uh, or uh, talking about the weather, and that's, and that's as deep as our relationships go, then we're probably not a disciple of Jesus. And, and that's some, there's something that ought to change in that. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? If you spend more time in front of a TV, if you spend more time watching the news, or if you spend more time uh, on social media than you spend in prayer, then uh, you're probably not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and that ought to be something that, that changes. The reason that we don't spend time in prayer is because we're afraid of what we're going to find, I think, a lot of times. Mm. We, know, we, know that, <laughs> we know that we're not a disciple, and we know that we aren't as good as we ought to be. And so, uh, and so that quiet time frightens us sometimes. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm thinking about, that, that quiet time, that, you know, there's a book by Robert Cardinal Sarah called Power of, The Power of Silence. Yeah which I love. It's one of my favorite books. Right. And it's short short paragraphs. They're all numbered, but you read one or two paragraphs, and there's a lot to think about Absolutely. there. But what happens, we get caught up in the noise of the world, as I always say, and the noise is social media, the noise is television, the noise. Right. Not that any of that, again, it's like anything else in moderation. You know, we can we can do that because I see a lot of good things, you know, on Facebook for that matter. Right. But by the same token, um, you know, when we when we slide our prayer life and our quiet time with Christ um, and really when that is when we truly encounter Christ is when right. we are, you know, enjoying the silence. Right. Um, and the world is so full of noise today. And when I talk about noise, I'm not just talking, you know, audio noise. I'm talking just so everything that can really interrupt right. us and interrupt our our spiritual life. We get right. so involved with so many things that we don't hear. We can't hear uh, Christ. We can't 
uh, we don't spend time with him because we're so right. focused on everything else. And that's what the devil wants. He lies to us about what we need to hear. You know, he, he fills our life with little noise. I mean, the first thing some people do when they wake up is turn the radio on. Yeah. From the moment that alarm goes off, you know, or sometimes the alarm is the radio. And it's just constantly on all day long. Or some people, first thing they do is turn on the news. And it's just like, wow, no, no quiet time whatsoever. And they go from one news station to the next. It's interesting. It seems like we're sometimes afraid of the silence. And not yeah. only there, but even at the mass. I think, yeah. you know, there's the, the liturgy is a beautiful thing. And when we experience silence when we're supposed there are times it's supposed to be silent. You know, yeah. and I... I think t- people get uncomfortable with it or Benedict something. Benedict XVI talks about that, about the silence that's supposed to be during Mass, and he's got a phenomenal quote about it that I don't remember right now. <laughs> well, earlier you talked about C.S. Lewis and, and screw tape letters. You know, screw tape says that, that noise is the band of hell. Yeah. And when you think about that, that's right. really, really true. Yeah. So. I think the third question uh, that we need to deal with is, uh, what does your intellectual life look like? So what are you reading? Are you reading the saints? Are you uh, only getting your formation from YouTube personalities? You know, I, I see a lot of that these days where people, they're not reading the catechism, they're not reading scripture, but they'll, but they'll listen to a lot of YouTube personalities. And, and the YouTube personalities oftentimes are not practicing the four practices. They might be receiving the sacraments, but they're not in fellowship or the fellowship that they're encouraging is not good fellowship. Um, and, and, and all that they do is really... Uh, just try and tear down the church or tear down people in the church. And so there's a lot of people out there that just want to tear down priests. You know, if they make one mistake, they just want to destroy them forever. Um, and so it's it's just there's a lot of nastiness in the church right now. And we're kind of t- we're kind of imploding uh, upon ourselves. Uh, and, 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 yeah, there's some people have messed up. I've messed up. Uh, bishops have messed up. Pope maybe even has messed up. And there's a lot of that. And so, uh, so it, what does your intellectual life look like? Dive into the scriptures. Dive into the lives of the saints. Dive into uh, uh, spiritual works um, to help you in your prayer. Uh, read the catechism. I mean, those are, those are the key things. And, and finally, what does your sacramental life look like? Are you going to confession more than once or twice a year? Are you receiving the Eucharist more than once a week? Are you going to adoration? Are you spending time in silent prayer? Are, are you doing these things? Are, are, you, are you calling upon the gifts of the Holy Spirit that you received in confirmation? Are you praying in your marriage uh, uh, to call upon the graces of marriage that you received on your wedding day and that continue to be poured out to you uh, in your marriage? Um, the sacramental life doesn't just stop on Sunday. You know, it continues throughout the rest of the week. If we just, we just have to remember the grace that is there constantly uh, in our lives. Mm. Well said, and uh, some great information this morning. Just, I keep thinking about, I just love the story you shared with how your days were on the farm and the fact that right. you did every, the, the meals together, everything. Uh, even waited for siblings to get home from practice before right. you would sit down and eat a meal. We we yeah. wait for dad to come in from milking the cows to to eat. I mean, when I was really little, we would even eat breakfast together. <laughs> Is that right? When I was, I mean, when my siblings were waiting for the bus. So I was probably four or five years old, and we were waiting for the bus. Dad was still in the house. We would have breakfast. Dad would go out to uh, do chores, and my siblings would go off to school. So we, ate, wow. we were eating three meals a day together when I was really little. Yeah, and it's it's now, this, this day and age, it seems like it's unheard of for families to maybe eat one meal a week together right. or two. Right. You know, so. Yeah, and that's, know. you know, we can't be a disciple if our life is filled with busyness, if it's filled with noise. And the busyness is surrounded by sporting events or, or uh, events that our kids are in. Uh, you know, once again, if the only thing that we're doing is following our kids around, who are we actually imitating? 
who are we actually following? Are we following Jesus or are we following someone else? Well, uh, the other thing that really strikes me about your story and sharing that information is just the fact that talk about busy. I mean, on a farm and, and, and look, you know, it's not like you can say, OK, girls, take the morning off because uh, right. I want to sleep in. That doesn't happen. No, nope. uh, 365. And, Seven days yeah, a week. Yeah, Christmas, uh, all holidays, any it doesn't matter. I, I remember days my dad was sick, and he would, uh, I mean, he would have the stomach flu. He still had to go out and milk. I would watch him throw up as he's going out to chase cows in, throw up as he comes back in. Oh, my in. gosh. And <laughs> you, you can think cut that about, out of the radio, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you think about, again, how busy you were as a family, um, right. at, you know, at, on a dairy farm, and still – managed to make sure that you were having meals together. Well, so we make excuses, I think, now, too. But, like but it was because so what was most important to us. Yeah. Our faith was number one. Our family was number two. So, Well, that's a, thank you for sharing that. That's a great story. I, I like to share stories of inspiration, and I'm going to probably have to use that. So. No, you can. I suppose <laughs> you can use my story. No, I mean, it, it's, just, it's just a great reminder of how, you know, what can be done when the focus right. is where it needs to be. My family and, doesn't like it when I come home for holidays because they think I'm just trying to get more stories for homilies. So, <laughs> so don't, we don't talk much at holidays, uh, <laughs> at least not when I'm there. No, it's I'm really quiet when, <laughs> right, when, when, when I walk home. in the door. Like, shh, shh, nobody say anything. <laughs> He's just going to talk about his in his omelets. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and it's always great You're to welcome. have you. And good to see you again. Good to Take see you, care. Deacon. Uh, would you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And the Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you can help shows like this stay on the air, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donation will be greatly appreciated. If you are a business or a service that can underwrite this Double-Edged Sword show, please know that your business or service will be mentioned three times during the show, and this show runs five times a week. Interested? Well, call us at 785-621-4110 and we'll help you get started right away. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.